Today I'm interviewing Patrick, friend and previous coworker from many years ago at Microsoft, and thought it'd be interesting to hear where he's at today and where his path is. So welcome Patrick into the studio. How are you doing today? I'm great. So where are you today? And so you know what we're talking about here, want to know your path and where would you say you are today? What's your title, um, high level job description? Uh, these days, I like to call myself an Agile Project Manager slash Scrum Master slash Agile Coach. And you happen to catch me between contracting gigs, so I guess I'm currently unemployed. Yeah, unemployment can be fun or not so fun sometimes. How did you get into where you're at? Because when we worked together, you did a very different thing. Obviously connected, but you were much more on QA management and even engineering. Mm -hmm. What was your progression of where you got to today? Do you want to work backwards from where I'm at today or start at the beginning and go Either forward? Way, whatever whatever is, sounds better to you. Well, let's work backwards. These days I am contracting, trying to get as much experience under my belt as possible in as many different organizations, industries, teams, so that I have a lot of experience, I've seen a lot of problems, and I can start charging more and more per hour as Agile Coach, start hanging out okay. my, my shingle as, I've seen it all, I've fixed it all, let me fix it for you. I kind of got into Agile because I've managed people for 20 plus years and have done their annual reviews and sat with them when they're unhappy about their raise or their bonus. Um, that really didn't appeal. The thing that I liked doing better was shipping software in an incremental fashion working closely with the customer to help them figure out what it is that they really wanted and build what they really wanted instead of big upfront planning. And once I figured out that Agile Coach was a real career in my time at Expedia, I decided that's what I was going to go after. I don't want to be a people manager following the corporate track. Mm -hmm. The weird thing is with an agile coach or even a scrum master position, lots of people need your help. You go there for six months, a year, maybe 18 months, get them through a transformation, and you basically worked your way out of a job. There is no yeah, that's true. career path to the C-suite coming up as a scrum master. I think I'm at that point in my career, though, where I would just like to spin off successful teams and that would make me happy. I don't need mm. to be the company car, the company jet, that kind of thing. Excellent. So you're agile coaching today and you mentioned Expedia. Yeah. Your last big corporate gig was Expedia, correct? Yep. I did six and a half years at Expedia, hired in as QA manager but we were in a matrix organization that was trying to run six or seven different projects all at the same time, all doing agile, all attempting to do scrum. And I quickly realized that we were kind of clueless. 
Mm. So I, I gravitated to the role of attending all of the scrum ceremonies, the daily stand-ups and whatnot, seeing what worked for some people and what didn't work so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing scrum coffee or agile coffee where I would just meet with all of the scrum masters for the various projects and buy them coffee and we'd talk about what's working for them before I had heard of that as a real thing. So even though my title was QA manager, I was being an agile coach. Interesting, just not officially. Not officially. No one called it that, but that's effectively what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, I still was setting the technical direction for the QA side of things. But since we were agile projects everywhere, the teams kind of decided for themselves what they needed to do. I helped people worry about their careers. And on the side, I did this agile coaching, Mm -hmm. scrum master coaching gig. And I discovered I really like it. So I want to do more of that. Yeah. Um, Prior to Expedia, I had done 21 years at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like a long time, but it was a new job every two or three years. So it seemed like a lot of different things, not 20-year career at Microsoft. I started out in 1991 in this position they called developer's assistant which meant I did whatever grunt work needed to be done that the developers didn't want to do. I wrote setup. I maintained the golden master images for the floppies before they went to production. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wrote some test tools, some test automation. They really didn't know what to do with me because I knew enough coding that I could help, but I wasn't good enough to really be a developer, so I went into Mm -hmm. testing. Um, started out as just manual tester, wrote some automation, became a lead, started managing other people. Eventually, I had a team of my own and ended my career at Microsoft as a QA manager with a team of 35. Wow. Wow. And it was time to get out. I needed something new. I, I definitely understand that. So one of one of the things I'm really curious about is what your origin story is. Like, obviously, you spent a good part of your career at Microsoft, but what did you study at school? Did you intern places? Did what you study get you to where you are? So, <laughs> what is your origin story from? I saw Uncle Ben get killed by some really bad guys. <laughs> Not that origin story, although interesting. Now, I knew I wanted to be an engineer from, like, junior high. Um, I was always interested in machines and gears and robots. So I went into mechanical engineering at Iowa State University and did the full-on Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering. I think I had one class where we had to program some subroutines in Fortran at a card punch machine. Oh, really? Wow. It, you took your deck down to the basement of the library and had them run your program. That's pretty cool. Um, I think we were the last class that went through that had to do the, the punched cards. Um, but when I graduated, 
Boeing made me an offer. I was going to move to Seattle and build airplanes. And between the time I accepted the job and the time I showed up at Boeing, I got transferred because on orientation day, they handed out a packet that had your boss's name written on a little sticky, but mine was crossed out and had somebody else's name scrawled above it. So they wanted people with an engineering degree who maybe could learn how to program computers. We were going to go write all of the Boeing design books and engineering handbooks in Fortran. Oh, interesting. Um, so the very first day I showed up, they sat me down in front of a Unix workstation and told me I was going to be programming this thing in Fortran. I went to lunch with my boss and told him, there's been a huge mistake because I don't know any of these things that you're talking about. And he said, rest assured, we're, we can teach you. They signed me up for a Unix class and started me programming. Um, and two years later, we were writing those subroutines or those, those programs, graphics programs in Fortran, which sounds dumb, which probably was dumb. But we had coded up some of the key pieces of the Boeing design handbooks on these Unix workstations. Um, from there, I decided there's a Boeing robotics lab. I got to get into that. They hired me and told me, we do automated wire harness manufacturing. We need somebody to write a program that figures out how big a bundle of wires is with all of these cables running through it. So they gave me a handful of cables, and I sat down and wrote an algorithm that figured out the diameter of a bundle of this mixed-size cables. And I finally decided, you know, if I'm writing software all the time, I might as well go where software is the thing. Mm -hmm. And Microsoft was advertising for whatever. If you know how to code, come and work with us. My first project there was handwriting extension for Windows 3.1. So when I see all of these tablet computers that people write on with a stylus, I'm like, hey, I worked on the great, 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 great grandfather of that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. When, when I see uh, video conferencing software, I'm like, hey. Yeah. I worked with a guy on a project called Oprah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. So you started your professional life as a mechanical engineer and almost immediately not did that. Yeah, I did a uh, summer internship at General Motors where they put me through a transmission mechanic training course hmm. to familiarize all their employees with how transmissions work. So I'm a certified transmission technician with a degree in mechanical engineering, and I haven't done squat with any of it. Interesting. Interesting. I have been sitting in front of a computer, writing code, trying to make it do what I wanted it to do for my entire career. That's really interesting. Um, you touched on this. Uh, I, I want to ask it formally. Looking back at your formative years, and formative in this case is childhood, grade school, that were indicators of where you're at today. And it kind of, you, you alluded to that in when your earlier uh, statements about when you were in junior high doing robotics or mechanics, maybe robotics. Hmm. 
Like, were there things when you were growing up you just, when you look back on it, you're like, oh, well, it's obvious. I would say the obvious pieces would have led me to the mechanical engineering degree. I mean, I always Not had... the computer science. I always science. had the Legos, the Erector <clears throat> set, the Tinker Toys, always building some contraption, you know, cranes and robots, rudimentary robots back then. Um, the idea that I could make something work in software that did what I wanted it to do was totally foreign. I mean, I grew up when... Commodore 64 was state of the art mm -hmm. and it was cool if you could change the colors and make a little sprite move across the screen you were a god um, nobody was thinking about going into careers in computers or automation yeah now was there a family component that kind of guided you there were either of your parents technical uh, obviously, they're a, a different era, so technical to them would be different than, say, what's technical to our kids. Hmm. But was there something there, do you think, your parents kind of either explicitly or indirectly encouraged you down this path? Dad worked for the federal government, so he was basically a paper pusher. And Mom was a homemaker. I mean, they encouraged me by bringing home the erector set and buying me all the cool construction toys. But your mom or dad weren't engineers for NASA or no. for General um, Motors. They they just had normal, non-technical jobs. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get in trouble when I would bring home the junk television out of the neighbor's garbage and disassemble it at home. Yeah. So they were tolerant. Okay. But I don't think they had a special skill that pushed me. So they encouraged your discovery... But you didn't learn from them. Dad's no. an engineer. I want to be like Dad. Mm, I think it was the opposite. I see what Dad does, and I sure don't want to do that. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, what were the inflection points where you chose one path rather than another? It sounds like actually one of those was was thrust upon you rather than a conscious choice, at least in the beginning. But... Do you have indicate or things clearly that you can say this was a transition for me where I chose left instead of right? Um, well, the, the thrust upon one, I mean, showing up at Boeing and finding out that I'm working in the computing department instead of the engineering department. Um, moving to moving to Microsoft and discovering that wow, these people are really really smart and are making a go of, you know, punching digits into a computer. This seems kind of cool. I would like to be part of this. I think I kind of had a natural affinity towards breaking things. Mm. I wasn't so much an inventor slash creative type. I was much more somebody hands me something and says, hey, look at this cool thing I built. And I was like, yeah, I bet I can break it in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And turns out I was pretty good at that. So I gravitated towards testing. I loved the challenge when somebody said, there's no way you can break this thing. Yeah. Hold my beer. And there was a lot of times where people would say, well, who's ever going to do that in the real world? Well, somebody somewhere is going to do this thing that I just did. So you need to fix it. 
And we, I think we've learned from when we started that that was a common thing. No user will ever do that. Now we sit there and say, every user is going to do this. Well, we there was to... one case where the dev manager said, you know, we're shipping in 24 hours. We're not going to fix that bug you just found. Nobody's ever going to do that thing. <laughs> we released and... 48 hours later, somebody had written an article about how you could hack a someone's computer using NetMeeting with a buffer overflow because they did exactly what I said they were going yeah. to do. <laughs> I remember that. That guy had to eat crow for that one. <laughs> what do you see as your biggest mistake along your path? I would say if I had to coach somebody else to not do what I did was be very, very careful about going into the management track. Because you quickly realize you don't have time to write all of your code and stay on top of all these other people. You're getting paid to stay on top of the schedule, the issues, the you know solving other people's blockers. You're not getting paid to write the code, so your technical skills start to rot. Mm. You reach a point where they say, oh, well, there's layoffs coming. We're going to cut these layers of middle management out. We're going to keep the people who write the code because that's what makes us the money. And they lay off the middle managers. Mm. So mm. if I had to coach somebody, I would say keep your technical skills current. So if you do go into management, you're not advising against going into management. It's just the caveat is it is hard to remain proficient in the skill set when you have to deal with the overhead of managing a team. Yeah. I mean, in a booming economy or a growing company, they need good managers. Yeah. Good managers are critical. In a downturn, people start to say, oh, why do we have so many managers? Let's start given some people the axe. Yeah. You either have to be a great manager or technically sharp. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Don't be a mediocre manager if you're going that track. Yeah, very true. What would you say is your biggest win? Biggest win? For you, like whatever meets your scale of, yeah, I did this and... I've, I've, I'm proud of myself, or I, I think what I did was awesome, or what we did as a team, or whatever it was. Of the things I look back on fondly, I would say one of the highlights would be shipping Windows 95. Mm. Um, probably because we felt like we were going to change the world. And the entire building full of people felt the same way. We were working 10, 12 hours a day, six or seven days a week for months on end, and it didn't feel like work. Yeah. Because everybody you knew and hung out with was there in the building. Um, you probably didn't have much of a life outside of that, but you know, we knew we were going to be shipping something big, and when it shipped, there was a huge party. They had to basically gut that building and remodel the entire thing because of the ship party for Windows 95. What did you learn from that? Like, what do you take away from that? If you're passionate about it, it doesn't seem like work. Mm, yeah. There were a lot of passionate people on that project. 
And I think that was the key. You were surrounded by other passionate people, so it was easy to catch that fever Mm -hmm. and feel like you were part of something big. I don't think there's been a project quite like that Mm. since 1995. Uh, We've done a lot of things that were much cooler. Yeah. But much smaller. Yeah. I mean, personal high points... I rose to the level of director. I had a team of 27 people working for me in Beijing and 10 in Bellevue. That lasted until the next reorg. Mm. So back to that whole times get tough. Somebody decides you're not close to being profitable and you get the axe. Mm. Mm. So don't get complacent. So my next question, I'm not sure is relevant here. Did your education play a role in your path? And it it very clearly did, but maybe not like I studied CS and I became a programmer. The education set you on the path that ended you at Boeing that pivoted you into software. Yeah. I think the education taught me that I can learn anything that I'm interested in if I apply myself. Mm. Um, it also kind of taught me, you know, the scientific method, formulate your hypothesis, mm. run the experiment, compare the expected to the actual. That's the definition of software testing. I expected it to do this. It actually did that. They don't match, so somebody needs to fix something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the work ethic and the mindset is what school taught me. I applied it to software mostly by reading books. Mm. How important do you think in school internships were for you? And today, how important do you think they are? I don't know if there's a difference between those two. Well, like I said, I did an internship in Ypsilanti, Michigan at General Motors Hydromatic Plant. Mm. And I learned what manufacturing facilities are like mm-hmm. and knew that I did not want to work in one. Uh, I think internships for CS students, I mean, we've had a number of interns come and work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it gives them a taste of what the working world is really like, mm-hmm. how you work on a project with other people. It's not, you know, I don't trust my teammates like at a school project, so I'm going to carry the, bu- carry the day all by myself. Yeah, that isn't going to fly. You have to convince others of your way of thinking. You have to work with the weakest link on the team. If somebody is slow and slowing you down, you don't get to go to the boss and say, I'm going to work around them. You help them. You coach them. Um, Mm. It's how you work effectively on a team and... Stay friends with everybody. Stay non-enemies, at least, with everybody. That brings up an interesting question I haven't asked anyone yet. I, I recall in my early days at Microsoft, the rock star was what everyone wanted on their team. And today, it seems to be a little bit different. What's your take on, because in your last answer you were saying that it, it's about the team. You help the worst player 
and help encourage them up and be more productive. That's very different than where you started your career, not for you personally, but in yeah. the style of work. How have you seen it change and, and what are your thoughts on those changes? Yeah. It used to be people would look for the rock star developer. Unfortunately, a lot of the rock star developers kind of had the attitude that they knew. The diva attitude. The diva attitude, exactly. Yeah. That this team needs me. They can't get along without me. Therefore, I can do whatever the heck I want. I can treat people however I feel like. Yeah. And they were, frankly, assholes to work with. Frequently, yes. At Expedia, we used to draw this chart that had how much work got done on one axis and how the work got done on the other axis. And most people clustered around the middle. They did an average amount of work, and people liked them. They're, you know, easy to get along with. They were reliable people that everybody really, really liked, but they didn't get a whole lot of stuff done. Maybe you needed to train them up a little bit so they were a little more capable. Mm -hmm. People that nobody liked and didn't get a whole lot of stuff done, those people got fired. People who got a lot done and everybody liked, those people got promoted. And then there's this special little corner up in the far left where these people were jerks but they get a lot of stuff done, Mm. so we can't afford to let them go. Those were the rock stars. Mm. There's a whole movement these days that say no assholes. Yeah. You don't want to work on a team where there's one of those kind of people because they poison the entire team. You know, if they get to dictate all the special perks or whatever, you know, they get to decide the architectural direction and nobody else can have any input... You drive everybody away. Yeah. So I think it's way more important to have a team of relative equals. I mean, you might have a specialist in one area and he knows a little bit about something else where there is another guy on the team who knows a lot about that area and very little about other things, but they can cross-train each other. Mm -hmm. People are supposed to be T-shaped. They should have broad knowledge but great depth in one area. And you get a bunch of different people who have different areas of expertise, that makes a great team. You don't want a single point of failure because your bus factor is too high. Yeah. So cohesion is an important element in a team. Not necessarily everybody being friends. Yeah. But being able to work together. Being able to work together. To be res- synergistic. Respect each other. Yeah. And like I say, cross-train each other. I mean, if you are so good at your job that the team cannot function without you, you can never get promoted to the next level. Yeah, that's a good point. They can't afford to lose you in that role. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, you're, you, you should be encouraged to cross-pollinate ideas. You're, Microsoft would teach you, we want you to help make others great. That's a good policy. Not very many companies do it. No, in, even Microsoft has its challenges in doing it. Yeah. But Microsoft became the stab each other in the back. That's how you get your promotion. Yeah, seems to be changing a little bit now, but... But they uh, need to hire me back, and I'll go see. Any last thoughts on uh, your path and, and anything you want to share with uh, someone who's curious about 
where what you have done. Well, we talked a little bit before you pressed record about not having college courses for a lot of the things that mm. we do in the working world. Yeah, there's no um, scrum master. There's lots of certifications, but there's no education for scrum or agile. Or even general project management yeah. or you know, uh, even software testing. There's yeah. some like six-month crash course in testing now that the community college offers, mm -hmm. but there isn't a major in yeah. that. There's no discipline. Even within CS, there's no QA, there's no program management, there's no product management, no agile specialist, product owner, yeah, any of those. You know, and they say if you have a degree in one of the social sciences, you understand what motivates people and how people work, you should be able to step in and be one of these management type people. Yeah. I don't know that that works so much in software, at least the companies that I've been to. Well, and the other challenge is how do you... So let's say I have a psychology degree. Yeah. And I go to Microsoft, T-Mobile, Expedia, and say, hey, I'd like to be a program manager. You wouldn't get through the front door. Nope. So you got to have the experience to get the job, of which there's no way to get the experience without having the job. So it becomes a little bit of a catch-22. Not that a degree makes the difference. You and I both know people that have no degree who are some of the smartest people we've ever worked with. Yep. And there are plenty of people with ex uh, very senior degrees, masters, PhDs, that can't find their way out of a, a bag. So, the education is a good starter, but it is not does not foretell your your future. True, I think if you have enough technical skill to get your resume read, and you have enough soft skills to be able to interact with people, motivate people, then you will be a great project manager, program manager, team lead eventually perhaps general manager mm. you know go get some business classes so you understand profit and loss and which way the market's heading and how you stay on top of that it's not really a degree as far as i know mm. but it brings together a lot of things and i think it would take you a long ways yeah that makes sense i don't know many presidents or vice presidents at Microsoft that came up through software testing. Most of them got an MBA and came in at a certain level and managed a team of people and rose to the top. Mm -hmm. Eventually you reach the point where you really don't understand what the people who work for you do. Yeah. You manage the processes. You, manage, you set goals and you motivate the people. Yeah. And you should be really, really good at that. Hire the right team and let them deliver. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate your time tonight. I will let you know when the recording's available. I look forward to hearing it. <laughs>